Okay, listen up. It's Jenna. You probably already know what's going on around here. But just in case you don't, here's the deal. It's an alternomorph book. And we are doing Alternomorphs number one. If you don't know, the Alternomorphs are choose-your-own-adventure books. That's not what we're doing, though. It's it's us. We're choosing your adventure. So That's not right. You choose your own. We choose your own. <laughs> but it's still going to be second person. Yeah, it's still going to be horribly second person. Well, that's just how choose-your-own-adventure books are. I wish that there were more than two Alternomorphs, because this seems like it's going to be a blast. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited to see where our journey takes us together, Brent. All right. Well, you want to get started? I absolutely do. So the way we're going to do this is we're going to read, and then we're going to get to a choice, and we're going to alternate who's reading and who makes the choice. So I'm going to read the first bit, and then Brent is going to make a choice, and then he's going to read the next section, and then I'll make a choice. Uh, and I'm I'm only going to make the best choices. So that's my motivation going into this. Now, something sort of interesting about these books compared to the the branded Choose Your Own Adventure ones is that they give you a little, oops, you made a mistake, jump back to the previous checkpoint, so we don't have to stick our finger in it uh, or anything. We can hit all the endings. Yeah, which I appreciate, because I definitely did do that as a kid. I assume everybody did as kids, right? I mean, why wouldn't you? I don't know. Maybe you're like a goody two-shoes. You just get one bad ending and... Then you put it on your shelf and you're done. Return it to the library. You're done. I actually think I... God, this is bad. I think I purchased this book and read it because it's a pretty short book. I think I read it while I was still at the mall that I purchased it from. So I returned it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like a middle schooler. It's not a good thing to do, but I did it. So I'm the reason Walden's closed. Yeah, now we don't have bookstores anymore. So Yeah, sorry, everybody. Thanks, Jenna. <laughs> Okay, chapter one. Mm, I'm into this. You know you shouldn't be doing it. You were supposed to be home at least 20 minutes ago. It's getting dark. The smart thing to do, the only thing really, is to ride your bike along the bike path like a law-abiding citizen all the way home. And don't return books when you've purchased them from Walden just because you finished reading them. That's what a good, that's what the book says. It's weird. You're a rebel who has no cause. (laughs) But you don't. You're an off-road cycling freak, so you head on. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit, hold on. (laughs) All right, let me get into this mind space. I'm an off-road cycling freak. BMX bandit, let's do this. Okay, all right, Yeah, you've got one of those tiny BMX bikes that has like the little stand, kickstand in the back. So you head for the construction site across from the mall. How many times have you been told not to do that? Like a million. It's dangerous, your mom says. Deep pits filled with water, cinder block obstacles, dips, and downhill runs. In other words, highly cool. Last last Saturday, you chose a spot and yanked away the worst debris. You made this sort of single track loop. It has a killer rolling dip and a log made out of cinder blocks that you can jump. And when you're on it, 
You pretend that you're racing in one of the mountain biking clubs. Your mom won't let you join because they're too dangerous. Jeez, mom. Too dangerous? Just wait, mom. Have I got a story for you? Uh, Only I can never, (laughs) ever tell you or anyone else. Except for, I guess this is the second person, so that that tracks. (laughs) Anyway, that night there you are, going around and around the track faster and faster. There's just barely enough light to see. Out of the corner of your eye, you see some dark forms moving. You stop your bike a little nervous. You think it could be a band of homeless men who live there. But then you recognize kids from school. Kids you know. Jake, Marco, Cassie, Rachel, and Tobias. You don't know them that well, except maybe Marco. He sits next to you in science and makes jokes under his breath all class. Thanks to him, you're barely breaking a C. Well, that's not Marco's fault. Yeah, it's Marco's fault, sure. Uh Yeah. You think about yelling, Hey! But you don't want to scare them. And they look like such a group anyhow. You didn't know they were all friends. You feel a little bit left out, even though they don't see you. You aren't terribly swell at making friends. (laughs) But it's on my special skills. Swell at making friends. Oh, it's rated terribly. Maybe because you spend most of your time riding around and making a makeshift track. There you go. All right. That, that, that wasn't me burning him. That was the author burning themselves. Yeah, no, that's literally in the book. The group moves away and you keep circling the track, trying to get in some killer laps before dinner. You're rounding the track for the last time, flying over the cinder block log when you see it. A light. It's moving fast, way faster than an airplane or helicopter. And you'd have to call the light blue, even though you don't think you've ever seen that shade of blue somehow. It's a blue that's almost white, and yet it registers as more than blue than any blue you've ever seen. That doesn't make much sense, but neither does the light. You stand there, your mouth open like a fish, and watch it come closer. You see that the light has a shape. It's like an egg with two stubby wings. The blue light is coming from a shift the blue light is coming from a shaft at the end, and suddenly you get what it is. It's a UFO. You know it. And this isn't because you watch X-Files. It's because you watch Roswell. (laughs) It's because every hair on your head is standing on end. Instead of running away like a normal person, you run towards it. You keep out of sight behind a tumble of masonry and cinder blocks. That's when you see Jake, Tobias, Marco, Cassie, and Rachel. Rachel's hair is standing out from her head, so at least you're not alone. Your heart pounds as a UFO lands, the kids huddle together, you can't hear them. But you know they're wondering what to do, like you are. Then you hear Tobias's voice. Please, come out. We won't hurt you. I know. The voice was in your head. You didn't hear it with your ears. Marco and Jake exchange glances. Tobias looks at Rachel. They all stare at each other, wide-eyed. They'd heard it, too. Tobias asks if the voice will come out, and he replies, yes. He warns you not to be frightened. You peer through a crack in the half wall. A creature steps out of the ship. For a moment, you think of a ballet dancer, which is crazy because this creature has hooves, four of them, and blue fur and four eyes, two of them on two little horns that come out of its head, a head with no mouth. No wonder the guy talks to your brain. (laughs) Oh, and the tail. You can't keep your eyes off it, or rather, the long stinger on the end of it looks as though it could do some serious damage. Now, Jenna, does this thing have a torso? Uh, it does not mention a torso, so I have to assume no. No torso. I think, think they'd mention if there were. More cannon than cannon. Mm. Here's the funny thing. You're not scared. Not really. First of all, there's a nice solid wall between you and the alien, and somehow you suspect he won't harm you. 
You write, you hear in your head, so you can come out. You don't have to hide. You glaze around wildly. Yes, I'm talking to you, he says. And that part about not being scared? Forget about it. Now you're terrified. What page do I turn to to not be terrified? Um, I don't see an option for that. I think that's meta. I think you just have to meta not be afraid. Damn. All right. You step out. That was me taking a drink of beer. (laughs) This is going to be a long episode, I think. (laughs) Yes. You step out from behind the wall. Whoa, Marco says. Another alien. Let the games begin. I'm going to be the one who's deciding what all of these voices sound like. Apparently, yeah. Uh, so I'll do my best to remember and try to imitate them poorly, and it's going to be amazing, I bet. <laughs> but his voice shakes a little. You know he's scared, too. Whoa, another alien? <laughs> let, let the games begin. <laughs> that was that. No, yeah, that was real bad. You stand next to the others. The alien stumbles a bit and then falls, and you realize he's hurt. I'm dying, he says. Then he tells you about the Yurks, how they're invading Earth by taking over humans, how their slug-like bodies invade people's brains. It all sounds crazy and terrifying. You're relieved to hear that the Andalites, which is what the creature calls themselves, are fighting the Yurks. That means somebody else is taking care of it. You don't have to worry. Cheers. Yes. (laughs) Yes, you do. (laughs) Yes, you do. He's the last Andalite, he tells you. But that's not true, though. He's not the last. He's not like the last unicorn. <laughs> it may take a year before the rest of them return. By that time, the Yerks will have taken over the Earth and all its people. What? You blurt out. That's impossible! I've seen what they are capable of, the Andalite replies, and you turn stone cold at the way he says it. There is one thing he can do to help before he dies. The Andalite directs Jake to fetch a small blue box from his ship. Jake looks... A little nervous, but he disappears inside, then reappears holding the box. The Andalite tells you that he can give you the power to morph into any animal you choose. You just have to touch the animal to acquire its DNA. You've got to be kidding, Marco says. You can't believe it either. It's way past wacky, way past unreal. Suddenly you see red lights in the sky. Rachel sees them too. Yerks, the Andalite says. The hatred in his voice is like a living force. He calls the ships bug fighters. You place your hand on the box next to the other, six hands, and then in the Andalites. You feel a shockwave run from your fingers up to your arm into your body. It doesn't hurt. It feels nice, like a warm buzz of comfort. But then a third ship appears alongside the red lights. It's larger, blacker than black. It is like a piece of starless night sky. It is a strange shape. Jake says it's like a medieval battle axe. Rolling out from its surface is a feeling that you can only describe as evil. You've never felt this before, but you know what it is. Go now, the Andalite warns. They cannot find you. And remember, you can only stay an animal morph for two hours, or you'll be trapped forever in your morph, Tobias. (coughs) Not saying that for any reason. How's your mom? (laughs) Tobias, Tobias, how's your mom? Tell me, Visor 3 is with him on the bleed ship. Run! Tobias stays behind for a moment, but the rest of you take off. You feel the urgency and the power of the Andalite's order. Suddenly you see your hand glow. You realize that your hand is in a circle of white-hot light coming from the ship. A searchlight! You snatch your hand back out of light and run. With a burst of strength, the six of you leap over the half wall. Your knees hit the ground hard, but you hardly feel the pain. Now the searchlight from the ship illuminates the dying Andalite. The bug fighters slowly descend. There's nothing you can do. Nothing. 
You watch as three visitors exit the blade ship. You see the creatures called Horkbajir, walking weapons with blades growing out of their wrists and elbows. They serve as hosts for the Yurks. And then the enormous, spidery taxons, evil creatures who willingly allow the Yurks to take over their brains and horrible bodies. Fear grips you. You've never felt fear like this. A Horkbajir comes close, so close you could toss a stone and hit it. You hold your breath. You want to scream. You want to run. You want to get away. But you feel something warm seep in, like a curl of warm water swirling around you. The Andalite has sent you courage. What? You- <laughs> I don't know, Brent. He used the power of heart. He has Matisse ring. You need the courage, Brent. Okay. Be- because you have to watch him die. How do you feel now about making jokes? I feel pretty good about it, I'm gonna be honest. Okay, that's good. Good for you. In a sneering voice, Visor 3 calls him Prince Alfangor. He morphs into a creature more horrible than the Texans, taller, bigger, with teeth three feet long. Their points are sharp as daggers. The fight is horrible. God, this chapter is... Okay. We should have I, alternated I, chapters, I, I offered. To, I mean, we still can. No, I think once we get into it, it'll, it'll go faster. I hope so. The fight is... I'm, I'm, okay. The fight is horrible. Already dying, the prince fights bravely. You can see that there's no hope for him, and there's no mercy in Visor 3. Cassie covers her eyes. Rachel stares straight ahead, her eyes blazing hatred. Visor 3 opens that deadly mouth with the teeth like steel spikes. Jake almost springs to help, but you help Rachel pull him back. No one can help. At the very last moment you turn away, you can't bear to see Prince Elfanger die. Not like that. But you hear it. You hear the scream in your head. It is more awful than anything you've ever heard. Tobias leans over and gags. The nearest Horkbridger turns at the sound. You see his eyes rake the darkness. You know he is listening. You don't know who springs up first, but suddenly you can't contain the terror any longer, and you all take off, running as fast as you ever knew you could run. Split up, Jake yells, and you veer away from the others. You know the construction site pretty well. The prince has said that Horkbajir didn't don't see very well in the dark, so you hug the shadows. You can hear one of them from behind you, his blades whistling through the air. He is very fast. You stumble over a piece of rusted equipment. The Horkbajir is close, closer. He can't see you, but he can hear you. You stop. You press yourself flat against the wall behind you. A chunk of the wall falls off, and you catch it in your cupped palm. <laughs> It's okay. High drama, Brent. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. We're Spider Man now, I guess. <laughs> you break into a sweat, imagining the sound it would have made had it hit the ground, how the Horkbajir would have turned, how his blades would flash in the air before tearing you apart. Wait, it's a trick you've seen in a, a million times in movies and on TV. Would he fall for it? Then again, do Horkbajir watch TV? This would have been a real good place to put the first branching decision, I think, but. Uh, oh, yeah, to choose whether or not you throw the stone? Mm hmm. Um, yeah, that would have been good. There's a lot here before we get to uh, Yeah, the there's first like six decision. more pages, so. And this is all, like, stuff that we already knew. You grasp the stone in your fist with your best effort. You draw back and fire the thing like a fastball, way off to the right. You hear a soft plunk as it falls. The hork whips his horned head around and takes off after the sound, bounding like a kangaroo. You run in the opposite direction. Your lungs are on fire, but you keep going. You vault over cinder blocks and debris. You swing over half-built walls. You get to your mountain bike and swing one leg over. And then you really fly. I was wondering if we'd find the bike again. Yeah, I was hoping we'd circle back. We're a mountain biking freak, so obviously we got it there, right? We can't leave our rig behind. What would our mother say? <laughs> Jeez, Mom, she's such a buzzkill. Right? She's saying things are dangerous. The construction site was not dangerous. The stuff in it, 
And the aliens and stuff were, though. Yeah, the aliens probably were the, the dangerous part, but all right. Chapter three. Do you want me to take you, this one? Yeah, go for it, please, yes. Okay, all right. We'll switch off here because this intro is long. All right, chapter three. You wake up the next morning feeling groggy. It was a dream, of course. A totally freaky dream that felt totally real. The worst nightmare you've ever had. If you told your mom about it, she'd probably suggest counseling. But, I mean, come on, mom. Seriously. Yeah, right? She'd probably tell you that the construction site was dangerous. Just true. You can hear the vacuum going outside your door and you feel better. Vacuuming is so... normal. How can people go on vacuuming when horrible alien slugs are invading their brains? You peek outside the door. Your mom is vacuuming and your little sister runs out in a pink dress. How's this? Lexi asks. Fine, mom says without even looking. I've decided that the mom really is a buzzkill. Yeah, that's fair. She's had a hard life. (laughs) Exactly. She's got a lot going on. You remember that Lexi's birthday party is that day. That reassures you too. Yesterday, a six-year-old's birthday party would have been lame. Today, you think it's just about the coolest thing in the world. Because it's normal. Your mom sees you. Can you keep an eye on things here? She asks. I have to go to the store and pick up the cake. You're picking up the cake? You ask. Your mom never buys a store-bought cake for birthdays. She's a city planner and works constantly. But she also has this thing about home-baked cakes. (laughs) Emily is coming over to help. And after the party, we're going to a meeting tonight. Brent, is is your mom a controller? Do you think she's a controller and that's why she's buying a store-bought cake instead of making it? Oh, maybe. Or maybe she's an adult who has responsibilities and, like... Right, and and a, a child who doesn't do anything around the house. Yeah, maybe that. Yeah, maybe. That's fair. It's I always out so riding paranoid. his bike, his mountain bike in construction sites instead of mowing the lawn or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and she's never, like, doing the vacuuming like her mom asked. God. Emily is coming over to help, and after the party, we're going to a meeting tonight, Mom tells you. Can you babysit? Sure, you say on the way to the kitchen. Babysitting beats dodging aliens, you think. Not that you dodged an alien with killer blades coming out of their wrists and elbows last night. No way. It was a dream. You chomp away on cereal, but it tastes like sawdust. You keep hearing Prince Alan Fangor's dying scream. You remember those dagger teeth and what they did to him. The spoon clatters in the bowl as your stomach heaves. You bend over, your face buried in your knees, and take a deep breath. That's when Marco walks into your kitchen. Really, you don't have to bow, he says. A simple Lord Marco will do. Is that a good approximation of what you decided the voice was? I don't think so. It it was a little bit more goofy and a little less um, Encino Man, but I think it works. (laughs) Okay. Very funny, you say. I felt kind of dizzy for a minute. Marco slings one leg over a kitchen chair. It isn't every day you see an alien prince turn into McFood, he says. Jesus, Marco. (laughs) He's not even cold. (laughs) so it wasn't a bad dream you mutter not only that it gets worse marco tells you while you've been snoring we've been morphing (laughs) (laughs) you stare at him no way way he says tossing his longish hair behind his shoulder i have been designated by our fearless leader jake to recruit you so far today, Tobias has turned into a cat, Jake into the family dog, and Cassie into a truly awesome horse. <laughs> I don't believe you, you say. Yeah, I don't want to believe it either, Marco says, shrugging. Considering that I'd like to remain alive long enough to get into an R-rated movie. Hey, what's up, yeah? Everything that Prince Elphadiddle told us is true, <laughs> which means we're all a big trouble. <laughs> you mean there might be controllers around, you whisper? Closer than you think, Marco says. 
reaching for a banana. Like Jake's brother. When I told Jake I thought Tom was a controller, he went postal. I have the jaw to prove it. Marco rubbed his chin. But it's the little things you notice. Tom just hasn't been acting like Tom. And he goes to this meeting called The Sharing. It sounds totally bogus. But we're all going tonight. Jake says you should come too. At least it will get me out of babysitting, you say. Marco peels the banana and begins to eat. Suddenly, he bends his knees and lopes around the kitchen, making monkey noises. You stare at him. Just kidding, he says, grinning. I don't have a monkey morph yet. Just want you to stay on your toes. Marco leaves, and you start thinking about what he said about controllers. If Jake's brother Tom could be one, so could someone in your family. What about mom? Yeah, what about mom? She bought a cake for your sister's birthday. Yeah, isn't that weird? Sure, it wouldn't sound like a big deal to most people, but you know how weird it is. Yeah, you totally know. She hardly noticed Lexi's party dress. Plus, didn't she say something about going to a meeting? What if mom is a controller? And if she is, how can you find out? You decide to try your first morph and attend your sister's birthday party undercover. <laughs> because no one will notice you not attending your sister's birthday party. You have three choices, Jenna. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, you choose. A fly. Go to the next page. Your sister's pet hamster. Go to page 22. Your weird next-door neighbor's pet ferret. Go to page 25. Okay. Let's talk through this, Brent. Yeah. Yeah. Strategy. Uh, two of these, I think, could be easy to get the DNA of. A fly. Easy. Pet hamster. Easy. Getting the neighbor's ferret seems like that would involve some hijinks. Correct. So are you wanting to make what you think is the right choice or what you think is the most hilarious choice? That's a great question, Brent. Uh, I... I would lean towards the most hilarious. I also, but I, I, okay, no, I'm in character. Uh huh. I'm in character. Yes. Which of these do I think is the best option? Because if I had to choose the best, I think a fly would be the the best one. All right, let's do it. Go to page eighteen. Okay. Let me let me also offer this as an alternate reading method. Uh-huh. Oh, these actually, this is, yeah, now that we're in it, these pages are pretty short. I, I will still offer this. Whoever is narrating reads the voice of the narrator in dialogue, and whoever is listening does all the other characters. <laughs> you just want me to keep doing Marco. Yes. <laughs> is there anything wrong with that, Brent? No, no. Do you want to start over and do it that way? No. All right. This is perfect. Let's just, yeah, we'll do it. Chapter four. It's not that easy to catch a fly. You open the window of your bedroom and wait by the sill. After about 25 minutes of trying to snatch one out of midair and coming up empty, you get smart. You put out a bowl of sugar water and wait. As soon as a fly lands, you snag him. In your cupped hands, the fly buzzes furiously, but you concentrate. The fly settles into your palm. When you're done acquiring the morph, you let it go. Marco didn't say anything about the morph being scary, but it is. Suddenly, the ground rushes up at you. You're shrinking right out of your clothes. At the same time, your bones begin to make this funny crunching noise. It sounds like you're jumping on styrofoam. A leg grows out of your stomach, then another leg. You fall face first on the carpet. You try to break your fall with your arms, but they're already turning transparent and papery. You hear an odd humming noise, and you realize it's your wings beating. You can't see, or rather you can, but you see fractured images. You sense something gray and plump and interesting nearby. Thanks to the sticky pads on your feet, you walk right up to the wall and towards it. Spider, you want it. You want to eat it. Do flies eat spiders? No, I think that's the opposite of how this works. Yeah, 
Spider, you want it. You want to eat it. Chomp down on that plump, juicy body and... No, your mind screams, focus. The spider probably has a web and you don't want to get caught. You have a mission. Your wings beat furiously as if you aren't even directing them. Zoom! Zoom! You're out of the window, buzzing in a blur of green and blue. You head back towards the yard where your sister's party is in full swing. You land on the picnic table. The kids around you are a blur of colors. You pick up mom's voice. She's talking to her best friend, Emily. Lexi wanted a store-bought ice cream cake this year. Did, did you want me to do all the other voices, or...? You can do Emily, and I'll do the mom. Okay. Lexi wanted a store-bought ice cream cake this year, she's saying. I'm trying not to feel hurt. I guess she's just growing up. Emily laughs. Kids! Mine would take a box of macaroni and cheese mix over my pasta any day. Good news! Mom wasn't being weird. She was just doing what Lexi asked for. Maybe she's not a controller. Suddenly, a gust of wind sends your wings quivering. What? Crash! A fly swatter misses you by inches. Mom is trying to swat you. You buzz up angrily, and she swats the air. Darn flies, she says. Cake. The sugary smell overwhelms you and you can't resist. You just want to land for a moment, taste a bit. But mom swats at you again and the gust throws you off balance. One wing dips into the frosting. You flutter it furiously, trying to get the goop off. It's making you slow and heavy and mom is coming at you with the fly swatter. You zoom upwards to escape the swatter. You buzz over the heads of children towards the cool shade of the tree and zap! You hit a bug zapper. You're fried. Bad morph. Man. I can't believe I... Friend, I can't believe we made one choice and died. I absolutely can, Jenna. That's how these books work. That's how <sighs> well, choose, that's choice. literally how choose your own adventure books work. <laughs> Which so do you want to do your sister's pet hamster or your weird next door neighbor's pet ferret? You know I'm gonna go with the weird next door neighbor's pet ferret, one hundred percent. Excellent. I think that's a great choice. <laughs> um, I'm scroll I'm metagaming and I'm scrolling. There's a lot more chapters here, so I think this was the right choice. It's it's interesting that I uh that choosing the fly was the wrong one though. Yeah, it seems like I mean it did it did the job. Uh, I just didn't know how to handle it. Chapter six. You've always liked ferrets. <laughs> okay, that's <laughs> Alright. You've always liked ferrets. And it's pretty cool being one. You can't see very well, but your hearing is quite excellent. And you feel so happy. Playful as a kitten, but friendly, like a dog. You leap up onto an ottoman, twinkle across the back of a sofa. (laughs) Being a ferret is fun. Whoever wrote this, I assume K.A. did not write this. Whoever wrote this for sure has ferrets. (laughs) Yeah, uh, K.A. did not write this. I forgot to do any research on the author. I mean, it's us. We're writing it just by by reading it, right? I think you're correct. We are the authors of this story. It wasn't hard to get the morph. You waited until Ms. Humphreys went next door to complain. She left the back door open, and it was easy to slip inside and pick up one of the sleek, furry creatures, one of. Yeah. Your neighbor has has ferrets. She's making a jacket. It happily curled up next to your chest while you acquired its DNA. You shrank rapidly, your body turning sleek and supple. You grew fur and whiskers and tiny claws. As soon as you morphed, you wanted to play with the three other pet ferrets. They were confused to see you, but they came over to sniff you, then chase you around the room. The back door slams. Miss Humphrey stumps back in, a ferret draped across her chest. She looks at the ice cream cake in her hand and shrugs. She dumps it into the kitchen trash can. Empty calories, she mutters. Not necessary. Is that a controller thing to say? Or is the ferret lady even weirder than you thought? Everybody likes ice cream cake. You curl up under the sofa so that she won't notice she has one extra ferret. I don't think she's going to notice that, bro. 
But she doesn't pay attention to her pets anyway. Another ferret brushes against her legs. She doesn't pick it up, doesn't coo at it, doesn't stroke it. Weird? Or standard operating procedure? The phone rings. Miss Humphrey snatches it up. Yes. A pause. Yes, I'll be there. No, I won't attract attention, she says, sounding irritable. No more than usual. This host is apparently an eccentric. This host. She's a controller. Dun, dun, dun. You shrink back onto the sofa. You hear a creak above you as she sits. <laughs> Good foley, thank you. <laughs> you see her feet in thick soled loafers. She doesn't move. And doesn't move. What time is it? How long have you been in this morph? You only have two hours. You watch as a shadow moves slowly across the floor. How can you get out of the house without her noticing you? The shadow touches the toe of her shoe and she gets up. Time, she mutters. She stumps around the room and you creep forward to watch. She slips into her coat, packs up a nearby canvas tote bag. She starts for the door and opens it. You can sneak out. You dart forward, but she suddenly spins around. Ferret lady, she murmurs. Travels with a pet all the time. And before you can move or react, she reaches down and sweeps you up in one hand. She pops you into the tote bag. She zips it partly shut. You can stick your nose out, but that's all. You're trapped and the clock is ticking. So, okay. So you went into the, you broke into this lady's house as a human because you don't have any morphs yet. You acquire the morph and you just turned into a ferret right there. There is a pile of teen clothes in Miss Humphrey's house that are just going to be there. There's just... That host is apparently an eccentric, so... Yeah, sure, that's just something all eccentrics have. Piles of teen clothing. <laughs> Jinko jeans Oh and... god, it's the 90s. You're a BMX enthusiast. It's Jinko jeans and one of those uh, short sleeve button-up shirts that has wolves on them. Mm. Yeah, one of the two familiar bread. Wolves and fire. Yes. Miss Humphreys tosses the tote bag in the front seat of the car. You hit your head on the door handle. The car jerks forward. You try to work the zipper with your paws, which is an adorable image. No go. (laughs) How long do you have left? You just barely see the car clock. 20 minutes. Too close for comfort. The car stops. Miss Humphreys slings you over her shoulder. You poke your nose out. You're in the beach parking lot. She's going to the sharing meeting. At least the rest of the Animorphs will be there. Miss Humphreys plops the bag down on the sand. She trudges off to speak to a knot of people by the volleyball net. Ten minutes left. You wiggle your nose to the opening, thrashing your head to widen the gap. The zipper gives a bit. Not much. Not enough. You hear Cassie's voice nearby. And then you remember that you can use thought speak. Cassie! Cassie, it's me! I'm in Ferret Morph! What? You hear Cassie say. I don't have say. A Cassie voice yet. I'll work on it. <laughs> I didn't say anything, someone replies. You realize that Cassie can't thought speak back. And she can't talk out loud or it will look suspicious. Cassie, I'm in a tote bag, lying on the sand. I can't get out. My morph time is up. I think I'm near the volleyball net. Help. I don't know why it sort of went valley girl with that. I liked it. Yeah, all right. You hear the scrunch of the sand. You see bare brown toes. Cassie's concerned face suddenly looms in your vision. Is that you? It's me. Hurry. Cassie unzips the tote and casually tucks you under her arm. She strolls up towards the dunes. Almost there, she murmurs. She climbs over the dunes and sets you down. She looks around. Okay, hurry. You don't need her to tell you. You concentrate and you feel your legs getting longer. The fur on your skin grows patchy. Your ears grow rounder. Your tail shrinks. Cassie wrinkles her nose. Ew, that's a worse morph I've seen so far. Sorry to disappoint you, you say. Glad to feel that you have a mouth. I haven't had much practice. 
Rachel appears over the dune. Hurry up, guys. She says in a low tone. Jake is going to morph his dog, Homer. Dogs She's and- forceful. <laughs> That's what I'm imagining Rachel's okay. always forceful. Dogs and cats and ferrets, you say, suddenly feeling hopeless. What a bunch of feeb morphs. How are you going <laughs> to fight Visser 3 with those? Something fierce flashes in Rachel's eyes. You glimpse something you've never before seen in pretty popular Rachel. The girl is a warrior. You've got a point. You're also nude. I just wanted to point <laughs> that right. out. That's right. Jesus. Sorry. Okay. No, man. <laughs> you are nude. Whew. You are nude. Just a heads up. I think, um, you know, Macho Man Randy Savage might have been a good choice for Rachel's voice. <laughs> uh, could we have you do the that last line as Rachel, M- Macho Rachel? <laughs> You've got a point, brother. <laughs> okay. Well, that's canon. <laughs> Do you want me to take this chapter? Yes, please. Let's trade off. Chapter 7. Things happen way fast after the meeting at the beach. Too fast. Jake morphs into a lizard and spies on Mr. Chapman, the assistant principal. He finds out that one of the entrances to the Yurk Pool is in your own school. Every Yurk has to visit the pool every three days in order to soak up Condrono rays. When Jake fills you in, you can't believe it. The whole thing sounds nuts to you. But since your life has suddenly turned crazy, every word rings true. Rachel has taken your complaint about Phoebe morphs and run with it. What is a Phoebe morph? <laughs> I, don't, I assume it's short for feeble, but also why? <laughs> Phoebe morphs. The plan is to collect wild creature morphs at the gardens. Since Cassie's mother works there, you can get behind the screens to acquire some truly fierce DNA. That is, Fierce. if you don't get caught. You meet with all the others at the garden. Okay, Cassie says after you get your admission tickets. Just stay close. You follow her into the main building. It's been fashioned into a rainforest with animals in their natural habitats. Cassie leads you through an unmarked door. You stopped, confused. Suddenly, you're in industrial city. Gray walls, concrete floors, all the sights and sounds of the rainforest. The contrast makes you ditty. Oh. After the sights and sounds of the rainforest, the contrast makes you dizzy, is the word I was looking for. (laughs) Cassie points to the doorway. These leads to the exhibits, she explains. You nod, but you don't quite imagine opening one and popping in to say hello to a tiger or a grizzly bear. How do you guys feel about gorillas? Cassie asks. See, is that right? It's just like very chill. Yeah, I I think that it seems right that Cassie has the most normal voice here. Yeah, that's fair. You think she's kidding, but she hands Marco an apple, and before you know it, he's actually touching his huge gorilla <laughs> called, called Big Jim. Does yours also say his huge gorilla? Nope, it says this huge gorilla. Okay, thank God. Okay, that's a big... <laughs> that's a... That's an important... <laughs> oh, okay. the title of this book is Marco Touches His Huge Gorilla. <laughs> He's actually touching this huge gorilla named Big Jim. He acquires his DNA. This gives you all courage somehow. One of you came close to a wild creature and survived. I say we head for the big exhibits. (laughs) Marco says. We need firepower, brah. (laughs) You've gone full 80s cartoon character and I'm very into it. (laughs) I am super inconsistent with these voices. I'm just (laughs) going with the feel. Just remember all of them for when we do Alternomorphs too. You start to head towards the big creatures. (laughs) I will not. (laughs) But you hear a roaring sound. You hear a roaring sound. A golf cart is headed your way. A security guard. Split up! 
Cassie hisses. She takes off the Tobias and Rachel. Jaco and Mark are already running. Is this the... This isn't the book... This isn't the book where they kill that security guard. That's a later book, right? Yeah, this is the, the Benny Hill ask chase scene. Okay, this isn't the one where they destroy the the tank and kill that guard. Oh, no, no, no. That's at the uh, the, the SeaWorld. This is uh, oh, that's right. where There's Jake ends up ducking into the tiger enclosure. That's right. Okay. You spin around and run back the way you came. You hear the golf cart behind you and you fake left and go right. <laughs> so clever. The quarters <laughs> are amazed, but this helps you. It's an unbeatable strategy. <laughs> yeah. Like, how do you do that if the golf cart just sees you turn right? Anyway. They thought I was going to go that way. But I went the other way. It's genius. Before too long, you've lost the guard. Now what? You wish Cassie were here to tell you what is behind the doors. You open one cautiously. At first, all you see are treetops. The door opens out into a little ledge, concealed by leaves. It is high above the habitat of the animal, wherever that animal is. You peer down. Something moves at your level, and you jump back in alarm. A giraffe is almost eye-level with you. It turns velvety brown eyes at you and blinks long eyelashes. Is do you, this is our fucking are, combat morph. Yeah, are giraffes a phoebe morph or a strong morph, do you think? I think that depends on how high you need to reach stuff. So, like, That's if you've fair. got, like, a gun on the top shelf of the closet, giraffe's <laughs> a good one. Uh, <laughs> I feel like there are some Visor 3 morphs where... It would have been a benefit to have a giraffe that could, like, do that thing giraffes do, where they swing their necks and, like, ram each other with their heads. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. And it just made me realize that if you're going to, like, a really uh, hardcore concert, then giraffe's also a great morph, because you can get real headbanging down there in the mosh pit. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so battle morph in some situations. (laughs) No, battle morph in none situations. (laughs) Hey there, you say softly. Sorry. Hey there. You shake the tree branch a little. Somewhere you've read that giraffes feed on treetops. You don't think they attack humans. You hope. <laughs> the trap takes a delicate step towards you. You pa- It passes by you. So close you can smell the dusky fur. You put out a tentative hand and touch its flank. The giraffe stops moving. So this is it. This is the trance. So strange that you can put such a large, strong animal to sleep. You close your eyes and concentrate. When you're done, you pat the giraffes gently. Thanks, you say. You slip back inside the corridor. This is uh, the worst battle morph any of them has had. Yes. You slip back inside the corridor. The encounter went so well that it gives you confidence. You turn down a sloping ramp. When you come to the next door, you open it and slip inside. You're in a savanna. Dry trees, sand, hot, but a dry heat. It's a dry heat. I don't know. Being from St. Louis, I've never experienced a dry heat. (laughs) it's only the moistest heat i always hear people say it's a dry heat yeah you don't see the animal at first you hear it oh okay i want us to each take a go at this sound effect okay okay because i think it's i'm not gonna okay i'm not gonna look at what it is what the animal is i'm just gonna try this sound okay Okay, I want you to. Okay, all right, yeah. That's, I like that. That's like a frog. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. It's not a frog, though, I bet. I don't think it is. 
I thought it was, when I first looked at that, I thought elephant maybe, but now I think maybe some sort of dog. Uh, <laughs> it's the Hypnotoad. Oh, maybe the Hypnotoad, the perfect battle That morph. would be a great battle morph. The cry raises the hair on the back of your neck. It is close to human. Mm, not the way we did it. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> the animal is wavering on long front legs. The fur is sand-colored and coarse. You don't think you've ever seen an uglier animal. She should be done by now, a voice says. Quickly, you crouch down behind some food bins as the door opens. Two white-jacketed workers come in. Takes a few minutes, the other one says. We better wait until she's completely out. Are you kidding? I don't want to go near a hyena otherwise. I wouldn't go near a hyena otherwise, the other man says. He peers into the enclosure. She's down. Okay. Is that what... I thought hyenas made more of like a giggling noise. I, like I, that was more dolphin. I'm sorry, I can't. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I've never heard a hyena outside of Disney's The Lion King. So okay, well, depending on how I feel when I'm editing this, maybe I'll drop in a clip of a clip of hyenas. That would be boss. <laughs> okay, that's where it'll go. Okay, let's go. The vet's waiting. Oh darn! I left by the stretcher by the elevator. Well, I'm not staying here alone. The two workers exit, having performed this little scene. The two workers exit. (laughs) You creep towards the sleeping hyena. Just as you approach, it opens one eye. The look is deadly like a shark's. As if your only worth is for food. It's too late to run back now. Instead, you gather your courage and brush your hand along the creature's side. The eyes close. Your touch, combined with the tranquilizers, has made the hyena pass out. You concentrate. As soon as you're done, you run away fast when you close the door behind you the white jacketed workers are heading towards you with a stretcher hey one of them calls stop the other one says they toss aside the stretcher they start to run towards you you could wait and think of a story but it seems easier just to run because why would this book give you a choice in what to do it's only a choose your own adventure book i i think it might be a have your adventure chosen for you book actually i wonder i wonder if there were supposed to be more choices and then they had to cut them due to like time or something. Cause that doesn't that seem like a choice. It does seem like it would be a choice where one ending is you die and one ending is you continue on. <laughs> one ending is you tell a story, but they put you on the stretcher and strap you in cause you're a liar. That's what you, they do to liars at the garden. Okay. Chapter eight. Yes. My chapter now, right? Yeah. All right. Chapter eight. You spin around a corner, straight into a security guard. Whoa, he says. Two strong hands grip your arms. Where are you going? (laughs) Good, okay, that's just Uh, the choice you've made. Yes, he's he's a horse, I've decided. (laughs) Uh, The the workers come up behind you. They're both out of breath. Try to break into the hyena habitat, one of them says, gasping. The grip tightens. So what's your name, kid? You think about telling the truth. Well, not the whole truth. But at least saying that you know Cassie's mom. The only trouble is that might get Cassie in trouble. And it could bring too much attention to the others. So you say nothing because it's not like you have a choice. (laughs) He frowns. We got reports of vandals in the park. Come along with me. He marches you down the corridor into a small waiting room. There are two policemen there. Great. Just what you need. I know you were called about a disturbance by the snack bar, the security guard says, but no name here was caught sneaking into the animal habitats. 
The taller policeman sighs. Obviously, he doesn't want the burden of some kid. Let's move, he says. They keep you between them as they march you outside to a loading area behind the snack bar. A police van is parked there. On the side of the van are the words K-9 Unit. Strange thing for a kid to be sneaking in animal cages, one of the policemen says. They aren't cages, the other one says. They're habitats. <laughs> Whatever, nerdlinger. Sit here, the taller policeman puts a hand on your shoulder and shoves you down on a bench. And don't think about moving. Princey and Gale won't take it too kindly. Two German shepherds bound out of the police van and sit in front of you. Okay. <laughs> Is that how canine units work? <laughs> They're used as guard dogs, is my understanding, they right? Just, they just, they let themselves out of the van. <laughs> uh, one of the dogs bears its teeth. Stay, the policeman says, and moves off to go talk on the van radio. You've got to get away. In just a few hours, you're supposed to meet the others at school to invade the Yerk Pool. Your only choice is a morph. But what's the best way to get away from the cops? You have to make a choice fast while their backs are turned. You choose. A hyena. Go to the next page. A canine police dog. Go to page 43. A giraffe. Go to page 49. Ah, uh, I can't believe we can't choose ferret, because I would choose <laughs> ferret. Um, this is tricky. I feel like a giraffe is the worst option, but I felt that way about the ferret, and that was the right choice. <laughs> it, uh, can, it, can it be number three both times? Is it oh, always going to be number point. three? Yeah, we've got to think about this like the SATs. We just throw this how, book how away often? And, and end the episode if it's, if it's all number threes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I don't think it is. I think the correct choice... Canine police dog. Police dog. Go to page 43. All right, Jenna. Chapter 10. Read us your shame. <laughs> you reach out and touch the canine dog Princey's coat. The dog closes his eyes. You concentrate. The police have their backs to you. It's now or never. You're just leaving piles of clothing <laughs> everywhere. You've been nude this whole time, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> That's true. They haven't wanted to mention it because it's awkward because you're a teenager, but you have been nude this whole time. There's that strange sensation again of bones crunching, things growing that shouldn't be growing. Yeah, we've all been through puberty, Carrie. Get along. <laughs> Not... <laughs> Suddenly you have hair under your armpits. That <laughs> happened so quickly, you say, your voice cracking. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> There's that strange... This is the actual book now. There's that strange sensation again of bones crunching, things growing that shouldn't be growing. You touch your ears and feel fur. You suddenly drop down on all fours and notice that you have paws instead of hands and feet. And the smell. You smell everything. Food, people, animals. It's overwhelming at first. The other dogs cock their heads and look at you curiously. The one called Princey smells you and howls. After all, she's smelling herself. So, in this situation... How does the whoever smelt it dealt it rule apply? Oh, um, you know, that's a good question. I, I think everybody shares the responsibility of the of the dealing. Quantum, guess. quantum farts. <laughs> the two policemen look over. Hey, Seidel, the taller one says. I'm giving him entirely different voices. That's fine. <laughs> thought, thought you only brought two dogs. I must have loaded a third. Hey! The kid is missing. Yeah, okay, that's, yeah, must have loaded a third. That's, that's yes, normal. That is a normal thing to do. <laughs> they rush over. You stand alert, tail twitching like the other dogs. You're not just a dog. You're a cop. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking narc dog. You have discipline. 
It's a good morph, you tell yourself. I'm <laughs> the good morph. I'm a friend. good boy. <laughs> <laughs> 12 out of 10 best morph. It's a good morph, Brent. Oh, God. You tell yourself. In a minute, they'll give up on a brainless kid who... A harmless kid who stuck a toe in the wrong habitat. Big deal. It's not like you're a big, bad criminal. They'll load you into the van, take you back to the station, and you can take off from there. This isn't good, Finley, Seidel says. You're supposed to be on alert, Finley answers, frowning. Especially for kids. Especially for kids? Wait, there's a shoe. One of them has spied your sneaker. The dogs can drag the kid. I'm sorry. Okay. No, because this is, this is, that means that there is two sneakers and there must be two sneakers and a pile of clothing. And the cop is just like, there's a sneaker. The rest of this is unsuspicious. So like, he didn't say it in the book, but I have to assume that you like quickly stripped nude and threw your clothes into a bush or something, but forgot your shoes. (laughs) Uh, wait, here's a shoe. The dogs can track the kid. <laughs> That's the old okay. sneaker under your nose. Scent roars at what? That just my '80s cartoon voice is becoming uh, more and more obviously the correct <laughs> uh, uh, tone with which to read this book. <laughs> scent roars in your scent. The other dogs smell, then strain at the leashes. We'll keep the one offline. See what happens. What? Finley says. I don't know. Keep the one on, like, not on a leash because they only brought two leashes because they only brought two dogs. Oh, yeah. Okay. That sounds like a great, uh, great choice. (laughs) The two dogs take off and you follow your nose to the ground, then in the air. Incredible. You can smell yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Usually that means I need to take a shower. (laughs) Know where you walked and stop. The dogs follow your trail to the admission booth. They circle and you do too. Of course, you know which way you went. You go into the opposite direction, but the other two take off down the sidewalk. Darn. You bound up behind them while the two cops hold the leashes. Why didn't you walk on the sidewalk? That would have confused the scent. Instead, you had stuck to the grassy parts near the curb. The dogs can smell your trail easily. They picked it up, Seidel says. He sounds relieved. More relieved than he should have sounded, since he's only tracking a kid. Chapman says at least one of the kids infiltrated the sharing meeting, Finley says. The policemen are controllers. That doesn't make anything more clear. (laughs) That's just more confusing. Because should they be looking for kids? Do all of the Yurks know that they're already humans and not Andalites at this point? Because I feel like that didn't happen until later. I literally don't even know what's happening right now. Okay, that's fair. The policemen are controllers, and they'll follow your scent straight to your house, to your family. I reported that kid who was hanging around the dunes, Seidel answers. The others are going to pick her up. It won't be long before she's one of us. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Remember early on, Cassie did almost get poached by the sharing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And this is weird that they knew who she was. I always thought she just got caught snooping. I guess she did. But anyway, Cassie. She was the one who'd hung out at the dunes, watching over Jake and his dog morph. Cassie was in danger. You have to warn her. Warn the others. The other dogs lose your scent. You almost lose it yourself. You're in a more trafficked area of town now, near the Civic Center. Earlier, you had to stop at the center garage to leave a note at your mom's car. You said you'd be late for dinner. Even later than you thought. You hurry past the garage, but the other dogs suddenly pick up your scent. They race into the garage. The cops follow, running after them. This isn't good, Seidel says in a low voice. (laughs) I love your cop voices. (laughs) I don't know why I made them like gangsters, but I did. 
I mean, maybe I do know why. You pick up his words easily with your dog hearing. Vizzo 3 won't like it, Fidel, Finley says in a worried tone. So we don't tell him. Hey, <laughs> maybe we don't tell him. The dogs lose the scent and the oil stains. Amid the oil stains and gasoline, they circle around, confused, but any minute they could find your mom's car. The note you left still might be tucked under the windshield wiper. It won't take the cops long to figure out who you are. This is your only chance. You leap forward, barking as if you picked up the scent. You charge out of the garage. The other dogs follow. You know that you can't lead them completely astray. So you follow the route back to your neighborhood. You run flat out now so that the others have trouble keeping up with you. But you make sure they keep you in sight. You get to the ferret lady's house and bark furiously outside. You circle the house and find the pet door. You nose it open and bound inside. Do, do houses with ferrets usually have pet doors big enough for a, a German shepherd? This controller is an eccentric. That's fair. The cops catch up and pound on the door. The ferret lady answers it. But already you've caused a commotion. The ferrets are running crazily over the furniture. The cat is hissing and spitting. There's a cat? The other dogs add to the chaos. Apparently, maybe that that must be who the door is for. Ah, okay. What is it? The ferret lady shouts over the den. What, Jason, a kid? The cops try to describe you. Sounds like... What's the voice for the fair lady? Uh, Sounds like every kid in this neighborhood. It doesn't matter. I think I, I was going for, uh, I think it was going for the, the, the queen. Oh, I don't care if it's Visa 3 himself asks me. I'll say the same. So far, so good. You've confused them. Under cover of the chaos, you sneak out the pet door again. You bound next door. You remember leaving a sweatshirt outside after gardening chores this morning. You grab it in your mouth and race off. You take that sweatshirt all over the neighborhood, rubbing it against trees and sidewalks and grass. Soon you see the cops and the canine dogs again. The dogs are barking, running from place to place while the cops strain to hold on to the leashes. You keep hiding and watch the cops get thoroughly confused. They give up and you trot back home. Time is almost up. You morph back into human form in your garage. You hurry inside to call Cassie. But everyone has already left. If you rush to the school now, you could blow their cover. There's got to be another way. Brent, I'm so fucking confused about what just happened. Because uh, are they are the Yerks looking for human kids? Yeah, because remember, and this is this is a deep cut at this point in the books. But remember, real early on, they saw the suspicious uh, Cassie being suspicious at the sharing meeting. So they were sort of on the lookout for kids before they figured out that there were Andalite bandits. Okay, no, that makes sense. I, for some reason, I, re I, re I remember them grabbing Cassie and trying to make her a controller. Yes. But I thought that was because she had, like, blown her cover at the school, like, while they were on a mission, not, not necessarily on the beach. Oh, maybe. Now I'm confused. Because, it, yeah, it's super weird to me that they would know who Cassie is, plan to make her a controller, and when that doesn't work, they just let her keep going. Well, it's super weird to me that these cops lost a canine police dog that they had an extra one of and are just getting over it, I guess. It's this. Is, OK, there. I mean, I, this is fine. It's an alternomorph. It's not even. Whatever. Well, that's a good morph choice and we deserve to proceed. So turn to page 51. Yeah, go for it. <clears throat> chapter 12. Shortest fucking chapter yet. It's getting late and you're freaked. Cassie's in danger. Should you head over to the school to try to hook up with the others? You can't stay here while the other Animorphs put their lives on the line. There's a suspicion that's been nagging at you. During the chase, the policemen looked very nervous at the parking garage. They muttered about Visser 3. What if something strange is going on there? It's only a little bit out of your way, so you decide to investigate the garage before heading to school. The garage is used during the day for city government workers. Right now, it's pretty deserted except for a security guard. 
You duck behind a car and wait until he heads down the ramp toward the entrance. You're about to explore when you see the guard wave in a large black van with tinted windows. Curious, you watch as the van heads up the ramp. Instead of parking, the van pulls up directly in front of the elevators. A group of people get out. You recognize Jake's brother, Tom. Controllers! Someone pushes a button to summon the elevator. This is scintillating, just blow by blow. <laughs> Exciting action that cannot be missed. You know you have to follow the group, but you can't stay in human form. Tom would recognize you. I doubt that, but all right. I, that seems so unlikely. It's weird that you recognize Tom, actually. <laughs> you have to try a morph, but what should you choose? You have to make a decision fast. You choose to use your ferret morph. It's coming back, Jenna. Go to the next okay. page. To use your canine German shepherd morph, go to page 65. I can't believe it doesn't give us a giraffe option. Like, what did we even uh, get that giraffe serious? for? All right, this is your choice, Brent. Mm, is it? Shit, I guess it is. Uh, yeah, I chose correctly. I made okay. the right choice. Now it's your turn. Make the right choice, Brent. Uh, I'm dedicated to making the wrong choice. So let's go to page 65 <gasps> and do the canine German Shepherd. Oh, you think that's the wrong? I feel like the ferret's the wrong choice. I feel like they're going to notice the dog. But yeah, let's let's give it a shot. Chapter 15. Your ears grow straight up. Fur sprouts upon your face and hands. You fall on all fours. Suddenly, you smell everything. Oil, car exhaust, human smells, mice. That's just a list of smells you smell. And over in the corner, a paper bag with a peanut butter sandwich. Are there any other smells that we smell that you could list for us? Uh, I think they would list them if we could, but I, I'm going to assume human smells covers like a lot of smells <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that we don't want details on. Human smells is actually the scent of my deodorant. <laughs> smells like human smell. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You trot over to the group waiting for the elevator. You stay behind them. When the elevator comes, you leap on just as the doors close. Okay, this fair, This is early in the Animorphs books, so weird shit like this is less obvious. You make it down in the elevator without anyone really caring. The elevator what? hits the sub-level. But a controller pushes a series of buttons and it keeps going down. When it stops, everyone files out. The last controller pushes you back into the elevator. Beat it, bub, he says. That was my Wolverine impression. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> Beat it, bub, he says. The doors close, but you leap against up against the panel and hit the stop button with your paw. You wait. After a few minutes, you butt the door open button with your head. The door is open into a small room. You see the last controller just disappearing... Yeah, just disappearing through the hidden door. You bound over and stick your body half in to keep it open, then slip inside. But the controller sees you. Hey, he looks at you, suspicious now. You take a step backwards. You bare your teeth and try a growl. It drops back, but another controller steps up the stairs. It's Finley, the policeman. Grab him, he cries. The other controller reaches for your collar. You sink your teeth into his hand. With a howl, he steps back. But Finley springs forward and grabs your collar. He half drags you down the stairs. You see a huge cavern patrolled by Taxon and Horkvashir. There are humans in cages. The screams seem more terrible to your sensitive ears. Finley hands you over to Horkvashir. Keep it. Something's weird about this dog. The Horkvashir <laughs> fastens a leaf from a chain. He attaches it to a piece of heavy machinery. Then he holds one of the blades to your throat. The message is clear. Move and you die. You decide to sit still. All you can do is watch. Watch as Jake, Rachel, and Marco morph into fierce animals. Watch as they attack. Watch as the Horkvashir and Taxon fight them. Watch as Fizzer 3 morphs into a horrible creature with eight heads, tall as a two-story building. That's what I'm saying. A giraffe would be good against... A really tall enemy like that. Maybe. I don't know a lot about giraffes. I feel like they would, because they could just, like, wail on them with their big old domes. He's, I mean, the giraffe's got 
seven fewer heads than Visser Three's thing, though. That's true. You're right. You want to cheer when the others get away, running up the staircase. You want to cry when you see Jake's brother Tom tossed back into the cage. Then one of Visitor Three's eight heads swivels, his eyes fix on you. What have we here? <laughs> his voice is like a sludge in the yerk pool, thick and evil. You put your heads and in, head into your paws like a dog might. Your tail is stiff and straight. Welcome and delight, Visitor Three says. <laughs> Your friends didn't want to stay for dinner. How kind of you to remain. Is this Hannibal Lecter? Is that the voice you're going for? It's a little bit. I was trying to remember the last time I did Visitor Three's voice, but that was during that one where we were very drunk, so I do not remember what the voice was. <laughs> he laughs and you see his teeth glint. They are sharp and pointed like daggers. He raises one of his many heads and a fireball zooms past you. <laughs> <laughs> Say it. Time. Say it. <laughs> Time to get roasted. Oh, that's my new ringtone. <laughs> says, why? Why? Okay. Because that sounds like one of the, the things in an action movie where it's like that thing in 80s action movies where somebody does something and then makes a very bad pun. Yes. Yes, 100%. That feels like what that moment was, but time to get roasted isn't anything. Like, it's not nice anything. to meet you. Yes, but Stay no. frosty. His hand lifts again, and he sends another fireball your way. This one hits its mark. Sizzle! <laughs> you dead. Sizzle! You dead. You dead. Bad morph choice. You took the chance you might be recognized. You lost. Holy shit, this one doesn't give us the option to turn back? Mine let me just go back, but... And we should be using a ferret. Chapter 13. You were concealed in a dark corner of the garage. You feel the ground rush up at you as your bones compress. Hair grows on your hands, on your face. Your nose twitches. Your body becomes sleek, and the ferret mind urges you to play. There's so many things to investigate in the garage. Wonderful smells! Things to eat! You wrench your ferret brain under control. Keeping to the wall, you get close to the group. The elevator dings, and the first group crowds on. You slink closer. Do you dare risk boarding the elevator? The lights on the elevator are bright, and you'll probably be noticed. Normally, humans would scream if they saw a furry creature in a small space. But you have a feeling controllers wouldn't care. And besides, you have no choice. So why what, why this whole last paragraph? Uh, you slink in between the legs of the controllers and head for the corner. The doors close. We have company, one of the controllers says. They all look down. It's not a cat, someone says. It's not a dog, someone else observes. God. The controller who seems to be in charge turns and gives a dismissive glance. Catch it. I'll throw it down the shaft. Is that how elevators Jeez. work? Jeez. Yeah, how is he going to access the shaft? They're fine. Okay, yeah. Cats and dogs, the only two kinds of animals that you recognize, <laughs> they are fine with. Anything else, suspicious, murder it. Busted! You can't react or they'll suspect something. What kind of voice should we do for Tom? Oh, that's a good question. We, we don't have a really jake voice yet either or else i'd say just mimic that mm, i think tom's real preppy so I'm gonna, I'm gonna okay i'm gonna do that wait tom says i've seen that animal it's a <laughs> ferret belongs to humphreys maybe we shouldn't touch it chapman said to take no chances all right the other controller turns back already bored with the conversation you're safe for now the elevator indicator lights up the sublevel floor it's as far down as the parking garage gro goes but the controller hits a series of buttons, and the elevator doesn't stop. It keeps going down. 
The door opens onto a room that seems carved out of dirt and rock. Sheetrock is nailed up against the walls. You slink out of the elevator and follow the group into a concealed door that leads to an iron staircase. You go down, 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 rock lobster. <laughs> your eyes adjust to the light and your nose picks up the smell of dampness. You hear something, a comforting sound that reassures you for a moment, like waves against a shore. But then you hear the screams. <laughs> I'm doing foley. Yeah, once again, thank you for the foley. Human cries of anguish, suffering, and you pick up a horrifyingly familiar smell. Taxons. Why is that a familiar How? smell? Do you know the smell of taxons? That's so important. You don't want to see what's ahead. You don't want to move. Dread fills you. It's so much more enormous than being afraid of a test or the dentist. You've only hesitated for a moment, but the controllers have disappeared around a turning. You dart forward. The first thing you get hit with is how huge the space is. It's maybe three times the size of the mall. The mall is the basis of comparison <laughs> for, for everything. everything. There's one unit of measurement in the Animorphs, and it's the mall. It's like an AU, but it's it's a mall. Yeah, this draft is roughly one thirty-second mall. That's actually a very <laughs> large draft. It's this is one two hundredth small size giraffe. It's a, a, a centimall, <laughs> and it's all completely open and carved out of rock and earth. There are still enormous pieces of earth-moving equipment down there, as though the space is constantly being expanded. You notice other staircases winding up and disappearing. There must be secret entrances all over town. The Yurks are much more numerous than any of you imagined. Then you notice the cages. They are filled with humans and hork Women. Children. Men. Some of them are screaming. Some of them just sit numbly. Taxons and hork patrol outside the cages. Occasionally, one of the hork lashes out with a tail blade and rattles the cage. The humans shrink back, and the Yurk-controlled hork let out these huffing sounds that must be laughter. Okay, good. I was hoping for some foley there. Uh, as, you, as you watch, one of the hork opens a cage and leads out a woman. She struggles, and the hork casually holds a bladed wrist to her throat. You have no doubt he would slash her in a second. The hork leads her onto a pier. It goes out over a pool that looks as though it's filled with moving sludge. He forces her head under the surface. When he jerks her head back up, you see a gray, slimy thing finish slithering inside her ear. The woman doesn't struggle anymore. And then you see Tom again. His head is bent over the pool. The same slimy thing slides out of his ear. Immediately, he begins to scream, but in, like, a real classy way? Like, received pronunciation-type uh, screaming. You uh, can't hear the words, but you can imagine. The hork demands to see the manager. The hork puts a blade to his throat. It takes three of them to get him to a cage and throw him inside. You feel sick. Sick to your bones. You can't fight this. You should turn around and go back up while you can. Wait to fight another day. Because it's hopeless. You didn't think it was possible, but you want to give up. Then you see Cassie. She's being held with the other humans, waiting for a yerk slime to invade her brain. Guarding her are two hork and a taxon. It's still hopeless, but rage fills you and sends your blood pounding, and you're ready to fight. Yeah, with your giraffe morph. Yeah. I think I think you're still in your ferret morph, I'm pretty certain. <laughs> well, you'll get there. <laughs> you have to be a nude teen first, though. <laughs> Chapter 14. You scamper down the stairs. No one notices you notices you as you dart across the floor. You look like a mole or another creature of the underground. Like a goddamn ferret is what you look like. God. A breeze tickles your fur and whiskers. A breeze? Down here? You look up. A hawk has just flown over your head. It circles the air above Cassie. Tobias? Is that you? Who is it? Do we have a Tobias voice? We don't. I'm going to do the, to the worst, nerdiest voice. Tobias, is that you? Who is it? 
It's me. I'm a ferret again. Cool. We, we need all the help we can get. The others are about 20 feet behind you. We have to save Cassie. Keep an eye on her. I'll be back. You scurry across the floor towards the others. Hey, it's me. Look down. Marco almost jumps to the ceiling. Whoa, why didn't why did you have to pick a rat? He whispered. Sorry, that was not a whisper. Why, why did you have to pick a rat? Marco doesn't whisper, but he does always make the hang loose gesture while he speaks. <laughs> I'm not a rat, I'm a ferret. It's closer to a cat or a dog than a rodent. Oh my god, somebody pushed the main character into a well actually. <laughs> I'm telling you, the author 100% has ferrets, and this is their ferret propaganda. <laughs> I like humans. I don't bite. Great. A rodent who pretends to be a dog. Just what we need. You know, I can always make an exception with the biting thing, you add. Jake bends down to speak to you. Oh, this is it. The, the Jake moment of truth. Uh, God, is he also going to be preppy? No, I think his voice is the absolute blandest, uh, un unnuanced okay. voice you can possibly come up with. I like that. If I were you, I'd morph back to human. You might be a better morph than a ferret. This place is crawling with Taxid and Hortbegir. All right, you say. But Jake, I saw Tom. He's here in a cage. I saw him, Jake says tersely. <laughs> His face tells you everything. You can't imagine how awful it must be to see your brother like that. You scurry behind a storage set. Quickly, you morph back to human. Rachel pokes her head around the shed. You'd better... Oh, God, wait, we were gonna do... You'd better stay here. You need to gather your strength if you're gonna morph again. We'll come back when it's time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you lean... You lean against the storage set and close your eyes. You concentrate on slow breathing, gathering your strength for the next morph. It's not long before the others return, but they've been spotted. What are you doing back here? It's a human controller. Standing next to him is a hork blade arms at the ready. A Texan stands on the other side, his spidery legs twitching, red jello eyes glowing. Suddenly you notice someone behind the guards. Rachel. Only it's Rachel with a long, long nose, a trunk. She is morphing into an elephant. A braying noise fills the air as Rachel feels the elephant's power. She impales a hork on one tusk and steps on a taxon as though it were a spider. A human controller runs away. Let's morph, Jake cries. Wait, can Jake instead cry, it's morphin' time? Absolutely, yeah, let me do that. It's morphing time, Jake cries. <laughs> yes! <laughs> <laughs> you look over at Cassie. She's almost at the end of the pier. That gives you an extra burst of strength. You concentrate hard. You feel something grow out of the back of you. A tail. Your ears get round and your head gets big. Your teeth turn into... Your teeth sharpen into deadly instruments of terror. You're fierce, hungry, and very angry hyena. And you have no fear. You start toward Cassie, but a taxon gets in your way. No problem. You rip into him with your teeth. He tries to bite you back, but you are such an efficient killing machine that he is dead before he registers the pain. Marco is now Big Jim, a huge gorilla. Did we have a name for the gorilla in the previous I'm, books? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was introduced in the, the one where he acquired the gorilla. Okay, I like that a lot. It Big was just Jim. never mentioned ever again. Okay, well, it's a good callback then. Yeah, whoever this is read at least part of the series Bible. They skimmed it. <laughs> Rachel is trumpeting a fierce call as she mows down another hork -bashir. And Tiger yeah. Morph, Jake's... <laughs> Sorry, that's some foley in the background there for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Snap into a hork -bashir. Jake springs at a Texan. You own this place. Margot tosses another hork in the air like a doll. The rest scatter. So they are afraid of something. Marco's the only one that 
with dexterity, so he heads for the cages to unlock them. Jake is already bounding towards Cassie. You start forward to help, but a hork heads for you. He swipes at you with an elbow blade. You spring. You tear at his flesh, then jump away. You strike again, this time, for the vulnerable, fleshy part near his head. Wounded, you expect him to fall back, but instead he springs forward, his elbow and wrist blades flashing. Rachel raises a foot and stomps. Thanks. Another puny hork bites the dust! <laughs> Rachel says she sounds... Positively bloodthirsty. Oh, yeah! Rehobias swoops down and claws at the eyes of the hork who's holding Cassie. She breaks away and runs. Morph! You yell along with Jake. Now! Even as you watch, Cassie's hair grows into a beautiful mane. It streams out behind her as her legs extend, and she goes on all fours. It's amazing to see. I say we follow Cassie and get out of here for Monday night in the squared circle. Raw's war, brother! Rachel Provost. <laughs> I'm right behind you, you say. The people Marco have released are panicking, running towards the stair. hork and Taxons try to round them up. You slip through them, running hard. Cassie and Jake leap over surprised Taxons. You remember that hork aren't great on strategies, so you remember from what? <laughs> from the rest of the Animorphs books. Duh. <laughs> Sailing over a long pair of wrist blades that try to slash at you at the last minute. You gain the stairs. Balls of flame explode over your head. You leap over a taxon who's aiming a dracone beam at you. Straight into the path of Visor 3 in his andalite form. The horrid evil voice fills your head. Well, if it isn't a bunch of renegade andalites. He begins to morph into a creature tall as a building. Eight legs, eight arms, and eight heads. You can feel that even the hyena inside you feels doubt. You can't take on this creature. You can't escape, Visa 3 cries. You filthy creep. <laughs> it's Tom. As if you didn't know by the sound of that voice, it's Tom. Jake's brother launches himself at Visor 3. No! Jake cries. He swings at the huge creature that is Visor 3, straight towards the eyes. He claws at the face. Visor 3 howls in pain. Fireballs explode. One almost gets Jake. Tom falls off the stairs. Jake, run! Cassie cries urgently. With a howl of anguish, Jake turns and heads up the stairs. Rachel begins to demorph so she can climb. As she climbs, so she can fit in the stairway. You can't run! Visor 3 cries. Oh yes, you can. The stairway narrows. Visor 3 hadn't counted on your making it that far. In his huge morph, he can't make it upstairs. And he can't do like Rachel and demorph. That would be... Probably the best choice. You run and you run. You break through the janitor's door and back into the school. You keep on running into your outside in the safety of the trees. Then you all morph back. The woman on Cassie's back steps down and says, Hi, I'm Hecate. Thank you for saving me. I can't believe we're just now meeting and having this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. That's canon. You're safe. For now. You look at your friends and see the same exhaustion on their faces. Even Marco can't come up with a joke. Cassie puts her hand over Jake's. Rachel stares back at the school building, her eyes blazing. Tobias flies closer and perches on her shoulder. Hecate says, well, I guess I'll see you guys later. Then she puts on a pair of sunglasses and finds a skateboard behind a dumpster and, and rides off into the sunset. And she's the coolest person you've ever seen. You know that more li terror lies ahead. You know that safety is now an illusion. You will never feel truly safe again. Excellent morph! <laughs> Wait, is there a whole second uh, choose your own adventure in this book? I don't know. I assume that this is going to be like the conclusion, right? It says turn to page 69. Nice. For your next Animorph adventure. It kind of looks like there's a, ne a next one, yeah. Uh, so it says uh, turn to page 69. Nice. nice. 
Nice. For the next Animorph adventure. So we're going to stop this episode here and we'll be back with the next Animorph adventure. By, and by which I mean the next Alternomorph adventure. <laughs> the rest of yeah. this book next episode. I don't know how they managed. Well, I do know they managed to fit. They managed to fit two Choose Your Own Adventure stories in one slim volume by having very few choices. Yeah, and no, yeah, no real impactful choices. Actually, I feel like the Choose Your Own Adventure books that I had, they they always loop back. So there were there were choices that did not end in death, but just took you to the same place. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm gonna be honest. Uh, I always leaned towards the real hardcore nerdy Choose Your Own Adventure books, like the Lone Wolf ones, where you had stats <laughs> and inventory and shit. Whoa. I never did those. I never knew about those. Oh, yeah. They fucking rule, dude. That sounds great. I, I only ever did the Goosebumps Choose Your Own Adventures. I didn't know they even had those. They did. They were very good. I liked them maybe more than the actual books. So, Did you get to choose your own scare? Yeah. Well, it was like there was one that was like, you go to the haunted circus. And so you got to choose. You got to. There were a lot of ways to die, but it made sense because it was like a haunted circus. And there are like one or two endings in which you survive, which I appreciate. <laughs> also, the first choice is like you can decide whether or not you're going to go to the circus, the, the super creepy circus. And if you don't, it, you just get a page that's like, yeah, you made a right choice. You go home and you live a happy life. The end. That doesn't sound very goosebumps at all. <laughs> no, <laughs> I just appreciate that there was an ending where it's like, yeah, you don't have to do this. You you have a choice to continue on with the story and you don't have to if you just want to chill. All right. Well, this has already become a way longer episode than yeah. I expected. <laughs> uh, so uh, thanks for listening. Tune in the next time that we don't have anything prepped to hear the next uh, half of this Alternomorphs book, which is a completely different story. Visit our website at fandalites.com. If you've got any questions or comments or anything to say to us, you can email us, fandalites at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Twitter at fandalites. We have a Tumblr, fandalites.tumblr.com. Uh, thanks to Dustin O'Dell for the use of his music for our intro and outro. And until next time, nostalgia's a drug, baby. Nostalgia's a drug, baby.